So let's open our Bibles to uh, the book of Esther. We will continue our study in the Gospel of Luke starting next week, but March 21st and 22nd was the Jewish Feast of Purim. And uh, with the events that are taking place in the world today, I've entitled the morning's message, The Ongoing War. And so what I'd like to do is sort of rip the veil back a little bit and have a study about spiritual warfare, the reality that we really are in an ongoing war as Gentiles, as Christians, but even more so with the Jewish people. So nothing exemplifies this more than the book of Esther. And I'm actually going to do my best to try to make it through 10 chapters and still get in Genesis through Revelation. Yeah, you heard me. I don't believe I can do it either. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to reread the verses that Paul read this morning, except to say this morning we will look at the, an overview of the ongoing war against Lucifer and the Jewish people. Uh, we've called this, we've given it a name, anti-Semitism. And I'm going to try to dovetail um, certain aspects of this war, beginning in Genesis in the garden and going all the way to the book of Revelation. But the main story really is here in Esther. Uh, before we get to our text, uh, let's look at the God-appointed feast, because the Feast of Purim is indeed a feast, but not the one that we find in Leviticus 23, and that's where we're going to start our study this morning. So let's turn to the book of Leviticus. And um, of course, these were the five books of Moses. And in Leviticus 23, we have the feasts laid out for us. And without reading them, I'm just going to highlight them. The first one that we see is the Sabbath. We have that verses one through three. Now, this would have been um, something that the Jews would do on a weekly basis, Saturday. The next one would be Passover. Um, The month would have been Nisan, the 14th and the 15th. After that, you'll notice unleavened bread, Nisan, the 15th through the 22nd. Then we have first fruits, Nisan, 16 and 17. Then we have the word Pentecost, we get from the word 50, that's in the month of Sibin, from the 6th to the 7th. Uh, the Feast of Trumpets is, is in Tishri, the month Tishri, chapter 1. Atonements, better known as Yom Kippur, is Tishri on the 10th. And then Tabernacles, also called Sukkot, is in the month of Tishri on the 15th through the 22nd. So we have seven annual feasts that would take place on a yearly basis and celebrated every year. For what reason? So that the people would never forget how the Lord provided for them. Um, And this would uh, help them to remember on an annual basis. The Sabbath is the only one that's different and that was on a weekly basis. Now, when do these feasts occur? Well, God's calendar is based on the phases of the moon uh, each month in a lunar calendar. So when every year it's a little bit different. So when you have a full moon, we have, in this case, Passover falls on the first full moon of spring. The first three feasts, that's Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, 
They all fall in March and in April. Um, The fourth, Pentecost, marks the summer harvest and occurs in late May or early June. The last three, Feast, Trumpets, and Yom Kippur, and Tabernacles, well, they all occur in September and October. There have been many times when we've gone to Israel, we've seen them celebrating. I've been in Israel when they've been celebrating the Feast of Purim, and that's primarily the the one that we're going to look at this morning, uh, where the word Purim actually comes from, how it, it got its name. Well, in Leviticus 23, these are the feasts. There are two other feasts um, that the Jewish people observe annually. And we just had one last week uh, on the 21st and the 22nd. Uh, they came about as a result of great victories over Israel's enemies. Um, Hanukkah is not in Leviticus 23. Hanukkah, um, also called the Festival of Lights in the New Testament, um, is a result of what we call the Maccabean War, Judas Maccabeus. This was about 167 to 160 BC. It was led by the Maccabeans against the Cilician Empire and the Hellenistic influence of Jewish life. In those years, Judaism was not practiced. They enforced the Hellenistic um, influence and they weren't allowed to worship in the temple. They weren't allowed to keep their customs or their feasts. So this was a very, it got to the point when I think when they put um, um, a statue of Jupiter in the temple and Judas Maccabeus says, that's it, enough. And against all odds, they went and defeated the Seleucid Empire. So as a result of that, uh, they came up and that's where Hanukkah comes from. So around Christmas time, we say, Merry Christmas. Well, a Jew will say, Happy Hanukkah. And that's where it came from. Now, the other one is the Feast of Purim. That's the one we're going to be looking at this morning. It's a very joyful feast. It's celebrated every year on the 14th of the Hebrew month, Adar. Um, Late winter, early spring, like I said last week. Purim 2019 begins on Wednesday night, March 20th, last Wednesday and continues through Thursday, March 21st. Now, you'll see why there, it's a two-day festival when we go through our overview of the book of Esther. It commemorates the salvation of the Jewish people while they were in ancient Persia from Haman's plot to destroy, kill, and annihilate every single Jewish person. Young and old, infants and women, and this was all to take place on a single day as it is recorded in the book of Esther. Now, I have to be honest, I really wrestled on how to accomplish this, but the only way to really uh, give a, a full view so you got a pretty good grasp of what this book is about and how the feast actually came about, let's turn to the book of uh, Esther, where Paul read for us earlier. I'm going to make my way up to our text, which is chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The empire of, um, if you're in chapter one, basically what I'm gonna do is just skim. And I'm gonna encourage you on your own, if you're a Jewish man or woman, uh, you are required, I don't know how they enforce it, (laughs) but, but on the two feasts of Purim, they read through the entire book. 
So I thought I'd do the same thing. So last Wednesday, I read through it, and then I did it on Thursday, and then I read it again on the plane coming home uh, yesterday just to refresh my mind a little bit. The, the dates here of um, the reign of King Ahasuerus is really impressive. Um, in verse one, it says, it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, who ruled, notices, from India to Ethiopia. That is one large province. Matter of fact, it says it was 127 provinces that King Ahasuerus, he's also known in the Bible as Xerxes, X-E-R-X-E-S. And um, he had uh, 127 provinces that he ruled over. Um, It took him in verse 4, 180 days in all just to show the magnitude of his wealth and his riches. And so he's bringing in all the province head leaders from these 127 provinces, and basically he's showing off. His wealth was an authority. He was a ruler of the known world. His word was final. His signet ring stamped in any seal that was the end of any discussion, end of matter. The king has spoken. In verse 9, we're introduced to his queen, whose name is Vashti. While he's having his party that went on for quite a while, well, the queen was having her own. And it says that uh, on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded, these would have been the eunuchs, that would have been in charge of uh, the women. And uh, what Queen Vashti was doing, well, he wanted to bring her in and just show her uh, how beautiful this woman is. And so he called for her and told her to come. And basically, she refused. And she refused to show up. And in chapter one, it just tells us that the king became exceedingly angry. And he called for seven of his leaders and he says, we got a problem here. What are we going to do? If word gets out that your wife, the queen, is not obedient to her husband, how do you think that's going to affect us? We're in trouble. And here's our advice. This is what you need to do. You need to send out letters to all 127 provinces. And you need to remove Vashti as queen because she disobeyed her husband. If word gets out, what do you think our family life is going to be like? And so the decree was written. It was uh, sealed with the the king's ring. And it went out to all the provinces that um, Vashti Vashti was relieved from uh, being queen over this province. And uh, that brings us to chapter 2, where um, I think he's getting a little melancholy. He's thinking about um, Vashti and what she had done and the decree against her. And um, his uh, followers would see he was down and they just said, look, why don't we just go throughout all your provinces, get the most beautiful virgins (laughs) that are there, and let's have a beauty contest. And the one who wins, why don't you marry her and make her queen? And it says in verse 4, and then let uh, the young woman who pleased the king, instead of Queen Vashti, this thing pleased the king, and he did so. Beauty contest is on. And so we're introduced 
in chapter two now to one of the main characters. His name is Mordecai, and he had a cousin whose name was Esther, and um, Esther's parents uh, died. We have here a genealogy from the Babylonian captivity. And Mordecai is actually from the tribe of Benjamin, and he was part of the exile that went to Babylon. Now remember in Daniel, um, the kingdoms. What do we have? Daniel first with Nebuchadnezzar. Then you have the Medo-Persian. That's where we are right now. So Ahasuerus is the king of the Medo-Persian empire that goes from India all the way to Ethiopia. That's down by the Nile, past the Nile, actually. So... um, uh, we're introduced both to Mordecai and Esther, his uncle's um, uh, daughter here. And they gave 12, six months of preparation just to, uh, we'd call it a spa. And their only job was to make these beautiful women even more beautiful. And after 12 months, they would have a beauty contest. And the one that pleased the king the most, she would take Queen Vashtar's place. And so, in verse 17, the king of chapter 2, the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in sight more than all the virgins, so he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti, and then they had another great big celebration. And this time, um, uh, uh, Esther is honored. Now we're introduced um, Uh, to Mordecai in those days, he was Jewish, and so was Esther. Only because they were subservient to the Medo-Persian people, he didn't want the word to get out that he was Jewish. So he tells Esther, now, you've become queen, but don't let them know that you're Jewish at at this point. In chapter three, we're introduced to the other main character of the book of Esther. His name is Haman. And uh, he has been raised up. He's prime minister, second only to King Ahasuerus. And wherever this guy went, people would bow down to him. They actually feared him because of the great authority that he had over all the other provinces that were there. Except when he ran across Mordecai, and he would run across him on a daily basis. If you look at verse, (coughs) excuse me, verse five, when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. So here's this guy with all this money, all this authority. He has everything going for him, except this one Mordecai, this Jew. He won't bow down. And it really, um, um, well, let's just read verse six. Uh, he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai, for they told him of the people of Mordecai. That would be the Jews. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. Now, we're talking all the Jews from India to Ethiopia. And the decree that that's really what he, he wanted. He wasn't satisfied with just getting rid of Mordecai. He wanted them all gone. Why? Well, this gets back to the commandments. And this is, remember, Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? When the 
When the music starts, everybody bows down to the golden image. Well, everybody bowed down except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as a result, they were casted to the fire and supernaturally, they were saved. Um, Jewish people will only bow to the Lord, their God. Good place for an amen. So this is why Mordecai won't do it, but it's driving Haman crazy because everybody else is, he's not paying him homage. So the guy's full of himself, full of pride. And um, so he, we'd hear, Here's the plot, and this is where we get the word Purim from in verse seven. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the 12th year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, which is a lot. In other words, they sort of rolled the dice. And the idea is, um, whatever it falls on, that will be the day and the month that they will kill in all 127 provinces every Jew. But we get the word Purim from this casting of the lot to determine the day that the Jews would be killed. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, you know, there's a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all the other people. They do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it please the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed and I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasury. So the king gave him the ring. Um, and the rest of this chapter from 10 to 15, I'm not going to read it. And he wrote out that on this day, in your province, you will go and you will kill every Jewish person, man, woman, child. And... Um, let nothing interfere with that. We're told here that um, the king gave his ring to Haman. He wrote the decree, and he sent it out to all these people. Now, in chapter 4, basically what is being exposed here is the devastation. I, know, I, I can't put it in words. A whole ethnic group of people are going to be destroyed, and there's nothing that can change it. Uh, the authority of Ahasuerus or Xerxes was final, sealed with his ring, and Mordecai finally um, hears the decree and that a sum of money was given to destroy the Jews, that's verse 7 of chapter 4, and um, he is in the courtyard, a sackcloth and mourning, and Esther wants to know, What's the problem with my uh, cousin Mordecai? And so he sends a copy of the letter so that she can read it for herself. So let's pick it up. Uh, Verse 11, and the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court, so Mordecai is telling Esther, look, you're the queen, but you're also Jewish. And so we need you to intercede on behalf of the people. And she's responding that um, if any man or woman goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, and that is to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the scepter. You just didn't walk in on the king. And if you did, and he didn't go like this with the scepter, you were dead. It was simply that 
simple. And that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called, this is Esther speaking, to go to the king for 30 days. So she's um, balking a little bit at this. So they told Mordecai Esther's words, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than any other Jew. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time of this. Here's the key verse to the book of Esther. How do you know that God didn't make you beautiful for a purpose? How do you know that you didn't win that beauty contest because God had a plan? How do you know that you're not the queen of the entire world because of this very moment that God has created for such a time as this? So, verse 13, Esther told them to return to her cousin Mordecai, her uncle Mordecai. She said, go gather all the Jews who are present in Sushan and fast for me. Uh, Neither eat nor drink these three days or nights. My maids will do the same. And I will go and and, um, to the king, uh, which is against the law. And if I perish, then I perish. If I die, I die. And then Mordecai went his way and did nothing to all that Esther commanded him. Something I need to um, add at this point is there was an attempt on King Ahasuerus' life against two of the people that were in his court. And Mordecai found out about it. And Mordecai took the word and let the king know that uh, there was assassination attempt against him. And the king had it checked out, and sure enough, there were two guys that were getting ready to, to kill the king. And Mordecai was the one that gave that information. So now, as um, uh, we get to um, chapter five, um, we have Esther uh, having this feast, and she's puts on her royal robe and goes into the, um, the king. He holds out the golden scepter. And he says, what do you want? You're my queen. I'll give you anything you want, up to half my kingdom. It's yours. She says, well, I'll tell you, but um, before I tell you, can uh, you and Haman come on over to my house for a party tonight? And, and then we'll talk about it. And so he goes um, to get Haman. The king has invited you, Haman, to come over. Uh, the, the queen has a request. And we find, uh, and beginning with verse 9, that Haman is uh, really excited about uh, this request. Uh, and um, he goes home, and he's joyful, and he's glad. And... Um, He's invited to dine with the king and only the king, so it was really an honor. So verse nine, Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, well, his joy just went away, that he did not stand trembling before him, and he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. 
Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself. He was having a good day, and he wasn't going to have Mordecai wreck it. So he goes home and um, um, says, boy, the king wants to honor me. And he says, I'm so excited, and I'm so full of joy, except there's this Jew. His name is Mordecai. And he would not bow to me today, and it's just, is just taking my happiness away. In verse 14, his wife says, listen, aren't you the second most powerful man in the world? Build some gallows, hang the guy, get it over with. And so he did. And um, verse 14 declares that. And then he, he went merrily with the king to the banquet, and the thing pleased Haman so that the gallows were made. Okay, in chapter six, the king couldn't sleep. So... Um, he got one of my Bible studies and he put it on. <laughs> I'm just seeing if you're awake or not. I'm getting awake, but I'm making sure you're awake. I've been accused of such. He couldn't sleep. So he calls for the chronicles of the history of his kingdom. And he comes upon this part where it says these two guys tried to take him out, but he was warned by Mordecai that this was going to happen. And he says, whatever happened to that guy, Mordecai? Where, where, did, where did he go? And what, what did I do to, to um, repay him for saving my life? And they said, nothing. Nothing? He says, well, I'm going to take care of that right now. And he, he's looking for somebody to deliver a message to honor Mordecai. But the only guy hanging around is Haman, out in the outer court. He says, Haman, come on in here. I've got a question for you. What should be done to the man that the king wants to honor? So what is Haman thinking? It tells us here that, well, who does the king want to honor more than moi? (laughs) And he says, well, this is what should be done. Well, you should get one of your royal robes, the one that you wear yourself, your best horse, your horse. And then you call for one of your noble princes, and you lead him through the capital of Sushan, And you say, this is what will be done to the man who the king wants to honor. And Haman is saying, all right. But then the word comes out, he says, I want this to be done to Mordecai. Now remember, he's going in to request these gallows be built so he could hang uh, Mordecai on them. Instead, the Lord intervenes and he has um, the tables turned so that the most degrading thing in Haman's life has just happened to him. The one he wanted to kill and take out, he has to be the one to go and say, this is what the king will do and honor the one he he is pleased with. So that brings us to chapter seven. And um, chapter seven is where Queen Esther finally tells the king what she wants. She wants to intercede for her people. So the only people there are Haman, Mordecai, and Esther. And the king finally says, all right, already, tell me, what is it that you want? She says, oh, king, if I found favor in your sight, verse three, let my life be given to me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold. Remember, 10,000 talents of silver? Haman was going to put up for it. We've been sold. 
and we've been sold so that we could be killed. And the king was incensed and said, who would ever try to lay a hand on my wife, the queen? Who is he? And she points the finger and said, it's that wicked Haman. And at that point, Haman is fearing for his life. The king is so mad, he's got to walk out and think about it for a second. In the meantime, Haman's inside on his knees begging for his life before Esther. And when the king comes back in, Haman slipped and he fell on top of Esther. <laughs> uh, the Lord's got a sense of humor. And the king says, what are you gonna do? You're gonna attack my wife on top of this besides wanting to kill her? And with that, they just put a bag over Haman's head and they took him and verse nine says and he was hanged on the very gallows that he had made to to kill Mordecai. The rest of the chapter now is that Esther wants another decree written to undo the first one. What's What's your request? Well, first of all, because the king's life was saved by Mordecai, he raises up Mordecai to be the second most powerful man in the kingdom, gives him him the signet ring, and he says, you write whatever you want to in defense of your people, and then you get my fastest horses. Here's my seal, you write the letter, you put the stamp in, and so it goes to all 127 provinces, and it it says on the day that your enemies want to attack you, you attack them instead. Long story short, in uh, Sushan alone, 500 were killed. In 127 provinces, it was either 75,000 or 175,000 enemies of the Jews were killed during this uh, 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 piece of time. Now, to go to chapter nine, we'll pretty much sum up this chapter here with, with this ending. So the Feast of Purim would be, um, verse 17, this was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day. So remember, she had two times where they had um, Mordecai and Haman come, and uh, she didn't ask her petition the first time, but they still had a party, but they had it the next night, so two days in a row. That's why Purim, is celebrated on the 21st and the 22nd. We read here, this was on the 13th day of the month, and on the 14th day of the month, they rested and made it a day of of, uh, feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day as well as the 14th day, and on the 15th day of the month, they rested and they made it a feast, uh, festival of gladness. I'm gonna encourage you to read what or hopefully we're able to condense in that period of time. To tell you the truth, I didn't think I could do what we just did. <laughs> but I think you got a feel of the story of Esther and where the Feast of Purim goes from. But I told you this ongoing war, this is really demonic, and it begins in the book of Genesis chapter three. So I'm gonna have you turn back there at this time. Genesis chapter three, The ongoing war began in Genesis 3, verse 15. This is the result of the curse that the Lord placed upon the serpent. Genesis 3, 15 says that I will put enmity 
between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now, I looked up the word enmity. It's synonymous with hostility, animosity. All indicate deep-seated dislike or ill will. Enmity is derived from the Anglo-French word meaning enemy. It suggests true hatred, a hatred that would exist between Lucifer and the Jewish people. And it began here with the curse. Lucifer the snake hates the Jewish people. The best example of this hatred is the the book that we just briefly skimmed, the book of Esther, dated 486 to 465 BC. This hatred we call today anti-Semitism has continued on throughout history. In modern times, I can only pick out a couple, but in modern times, um, we have seen it, and the coincident of some of them happening on Purim is uncanny. Now, this is something I usually never do in the middle of a Bible study. But I'm going to show a two minute and 45 second clip on what Stalin was about to do to the Jewish people. So I'm going to play that at this time and we'll come back to the study. Did you catch the picture of uh, Putin, Erdogan, and the Iranian all in one picture? I'll get to that in just a little bit. Um, In 1990, Saddam Hussein of Iraq defiantly invaded nearby Kuwait. That takes you back a little bit, doesn't it? Um, As pressure wrapped up from the international community, his army began firing Scud missiles into Israel. Rabbi Menachem Shmirsom, there's a name I haven't heard from a while, they actually thought he was the Messiah at one time, repeatedly assured the people of Israel that there would be um, protected. After the U.S.-led forces attacked Iraq, they were quickly victorious and the hostilities ended on Purim. So those are two modern-day events. Of course, we have the Holocaust with six billion uh, Jews, the ongoing war of the serpent against the Jewish people, the seed of the woman against the seed of the serpent. It's been going on and on and on. Now turn to the book of Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12, I can only read a few verses here. The first six verses are symbols of a fiery red dragon, that would be Lucifer, a child who would be taken to heaven, that would be Jesus, and the woman who brought forth the child, which would be the nation of Israel. Remember, Jesus is Jewish, from the lion of the tribe of Judah. So Israel is the one that brought forth our Messiah. And now in verse 13, um, after the war in heaven between Michael and his angel and the devil and his angels, the devil's cast down to the ground. He's got one card to play, that which goes way back to the Genesis chapter three. Verse 13, now when the dragon, that would be the snake, Lucifer saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, Israel. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished, 
for time, times, and half a times. This is the remnant that are supernaturally protected, I believe in Petra, for three and a half years. But the enemy wants them taken out, but the serpent spewed water, that could be symbolic of an army or whatever, out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened his mouth and swallowed up the flood uh, which the dragon had spewed out over the mouth. Oh, Dwight, you don't really believe that the earth opened and literally swallowed them up, do you? Well, it happened with Moses and Korah, didn't it? And so we find things in the Old Testament that we think, well, that's really weird that they would put that there. And then we find it again in the book of Revelation. And I personally believe the Holy Spirit does that. So when we read something like this, well, I ask the question, well, has that ever happened before? And the answer is, well, yes, it has happened before. And so I take this literally. And, but what you want to see here is he's still trying to destroy the Jewish people. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Today, anti-Semitism has increased 57% in the U.S. in 2017. 57% from 2006 to 2017, and it continues to grow to the state. And I don't have to tell you this. You, you hear it and you see it on the news yourself. Um, I just happened to have, I had my notes, so I was studying in Arizona, but I didn't know Mary was putting this in the, um, or maybe she sent it to me, I can't remember. But it, it was in last Wednesday's News Bites. It says, Iran inches closer to its goal, wipe Israel off the map. This was March 16th, 2019. Um, as Iran uh, established believers that their supreme leader is Allah's representative on earth, whatever words or desires the supreme leader utters are considered Allah's wishes, which must be brought to life by Allah's true believers. And his wishes are that um, um, just that. You find uh, the textbook in, in um Iranian schools are there. Israel is not even existent. It's not even on the map. So that's an overview of why we have Purim, but what practical applications do we have for you and I? With that, let's go back to the book of Esther, chapter 4. Let's see if we can make it personal. In chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, we have Esther going, you know, if I do this, they're going to find out who I am. They don't know how much you. And if I do it, I could die. Now, I want you to know that uh, it says here, then Mordecai, verse 13, told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace any more than any other Jew. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Why? God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David that they were gonna have a kingdom, and it would be an everlasting kingdom. Nothing is going to stop God's plan from coming to pass. Another good place for a day, man. Nothing. Nothing can stop 
the Jewish people from establishing the kingdom under King David. And Jesus as, as their um, king during that time. And your ho- but your father's house will perish. In other words, you're special, Esther. You've been put in a position where you need to speak up and let the king know exactly who you are. And basically what she said, if I would say it bluntly, I'm a Jew, saying it that way. But he didn't know that at the time. All right, let's make it personal for us. I believe there's people here watching live stream. They love the Lord. Um, they have their own circle of friends. But when, if push would come to shove, a lot of them don't even know that you're a Christian. Why? Well, sometimes it's peer pressure. Sometimes it's they're gonna treat me different if they think I'm a Christian. And what I see here is an attitude that we need to glean from the book of Esther. And that is, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. But if you deny me before men, I will also deny you. Here's Esther. Her life is on the line. There's people, there should, there should be no Christians when the Lord says, you don't, you don't hide that little light that you have. You set it out of hell. Let everybody see it. And you say, I am a Christian. Amen? Amen. I got a haircut down in Arizona. This isn't in my notes. So I think, how do I witness to the, um, the girl who's got my hair? I'm looking for an open door. And so she's telling me about her life and so and so and so forth. And she says, I'm a Christian. So I played dumb. <laughs> I never, I'm not used to people witnessing to me. And so I thought, okay, let's see where she's gonna go with this. And um, after she's awkwardly trying to work her way into talking about the Lord, I said, okay, I'm a believer too and um, have been for a long, long time. And we just had a great time of fellowship. But what's your point? She was on her job and she was not afraid or ashamed to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not a closet Christian and I'm not gonna hide my light, I'm gonna let it shine. So what do we glean from the book of Esther? She was not ashamed to say, these are my people, and they could perish if I don't say something. Do you know that's, that's true for you also? So she was standing in the gap, and God wants to use you, but if he doesn't use you, what does it say? He'll choose somebody else. He's gonna do his job. He wants to use you. But if you don't, well, you'll just have to find somebody else. And you can, you can miss out on the blessing. Well, the idea of serpent, uh, the serpent here in Genesis, um, I'll close with a, a personal story that happened to me uh, as I was preparing a study in Arizona. On a daily basis, I like to go hiking at Lost Dutchman State Park. I've been doing it for many years. Um, put on the screen the rattlesnake. Of all my years of going there, I've never seen a rattlesnake. I've heard one. And it's spring break, and not only that, but it's spring training in the Phoenix area. And usually I have this place to myself. But uh, there were so many people because of spring break and um, um, uh, baseball training 
that there were a lot of people hiking what I call my trail. And um, all of a sudden, there's a small group of people looking. This is right on the trail. That's a rattlesnake, what you're looking at there. And um, we went and got the park ranger and told him about it. And it was interesting when he came back and said, he said, that's, that's snake's home. And what the Lord put in my mind at that moment when I talked about a serpent is that the serpent is the God of this world. This is his home. And he is extremely dangerous. So me and a couple other guys decided, well, we gotta warn people that there's a rattlesnake on the trail. Ranger isn't gonna do anything about it. So this was at the very beginning of, the, uh, of my hike. So we tried to um, scare him away. Instead, he coiled up and he went under a tree still that close to the trail so that anybody walking by uh, had to know that that snake was there. So we parted ways and this was at the beginning. Every person that I ran into, I said, look, I've got to tell you something. About 100 feet before you get to the exit here, on this side of the road, there's a rattlesnake. There were two responses that people had. Oh, really? I want to see a rattlesnake. And the other one was, ah! <laughs> Those were the two responses. And I got weary of warning people. I had told so many people that there's a rattlesnake because there were so many people on spring break that I said, Lord, I'm getting tired of warning people. And then the Lord gave me a Bible study. You can probably imagine what he said. Okay, don't warn any more people. I know you're getting tired. I know you've been doing this for a long time. But what happens if somebody gets bit that you didn't warn? And it hit me right between the eyes. I was so convicted I couldn't. I couldn't even tell you. In the long run that we're in, this is not a 100-yard dash. This is a marathon. And you have to run it as such. And you can't grow weary in doing well. Good place for an amen. You can't grow weary in warning people. You can't not stand with the Jewish people. Why? Genesis 12, verse 3 says this. I'm going to bless those who bless Israel but I'm going to curse those who curse Israel. Did he not curse Haman? Did he not bless Mordecai? And that's going to be the same for you and I. The world, you don't have to have me tell you, is getting darker and darker. The hatred against the Jewish people is in the news every single day. And we see um, plans being made. Ezekiel 38 could happen at any time. The question is, are you warning people? And do you love the Jewish people? And are you uh, making that manifest that I'm not afraid or ashamed to say, I am a Christian, number one. Number two, that I, I love the Jewish people. They're the apple of God's eyes. And I'm not gonna take you to Matthew 25, we're gonna ask you to read it because of time on your own. It says in Matthew 25, immediately after the tribulation of those days when the Lord returns, he's gonna, um, separate the sheep from the goats. These are people who lived through the tribulation period. And some of them will have taken the mark of the beast. Others of them will have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. And they asked the question, well, Lord, when did, when did, we, did we, when did we see you hungry or, or naked? And he said, 
if you have done it into the least of these, my brethren. Now, missionaries use that verse all the time, but I think he's specifically talking about how you treated the Jewish people during that period of time. The least of these, my brethren. Jesus is Jewish. He's talking about the book of Revelation is primarily about the Jewish people and them being refined and coming to the Lord. So in closing um, this morning, maybe you've been doing this for a long time. I have. Sometimes you can get weary in the journey. I can and do. We're all human. Amen? Can't stop. None of the disciples stopped. The only one that didn't die of being martyred was John. It's because the Lord needed him to write the book of Revelation. But um, as we see the days getting darker, don't you get weary, because we're almost home. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for the book of Esther, for the feast, for the, the festival of Purim, which is the most accurate story of the ongoing war against our adversary, the devil, and in this case, the Jewish people. So Lord, um, we pray this would be a good exhortation for us not to become weary and let them know that there's a snake in the path and that we need to warn them because the consequences could be very severe. So we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you'd bless us as we go out this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Least of these, my brethren. Now, missionaries use that verse all the time, but I think he's specifically talking about how you treated the Jewish people during that period of time. The least of these, my brethren. Jesus is Jewish. He's talking about the book of Revelation is primarily about the Jewish people and them being refined and coming to the Lord. So, in closing um, this morning, Maybe you've been doing this for a long time. I have. Sometimes you can get weary in the journey. I can and do. We're all human. Amen? Can't stop. None of the disciples stopped. The only one that didn't die of being martyred was John. It's because the Lord needed him to write the book of Revelation. But um, as we see the days getting darker, don't you get weary because we're almost home. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for the book of Esther, for the feast, for the the festival of Purim, which is the most accurate story of the ongoing war against our adversary, the devil, and in this case, the Jewish people. So Lord, um, we pray this would be a good exhortation for us not to become weary and let them know that there's a snake in the path and that we need to warn them because the consequences could be very severe. So we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you bless us as we go out this day. In Jesus' name, amen.